Well, if you got your Bibles this morning, go and open up to Matthew chapter 24 as we continue to wrap up our series on As the Day Approaches. And uh, we've really been focusing in. I uh, started last week talking about the signs of the day. And uh, we're going to talk about step two in the signs of the day as well. And we'll be finishing up this series next week with the return of Christ. And so looking forward to getting to that one. But today we're going to be talking about the Great Tribulation and what that means for us as Christians and what Scripture teaches us when it comes to the signs of the time. Last week we talked about the beginning of sorrows. And there were six signs to the beginning of sorrows, that there would be many false Christs, there would be wars and rumors of wars, there would be natural disasters, there would be the persecution of believers, there would be the defection of many false believers, and a worldwide gospel presentation. We kind of saw a lot of that correlate with the book of Revelation, and again, we're going to be looking at a lot of Revelation today as we look at Matthew chapter 24. And we talk about the Great Tribulation, and a lot of people want to know, well, what is this Great Tribulation you're talking about? Now, we need to discuss something first so that you can better understand it. There is a seven-year period of time called the Tribulation that is coming. Scripture defines it very clearly in the book of Revelation, from Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 19. This tribulation, there's going to be seven seals that will be broken, seven trumpets that will be blown, and seven bowls that will be poured out. There's a lot of signs and a lot of things that are going to be going on during that time. But there's also a specified period within the tribulation known as the Great Tribulation. It is that last three and a half year period of time during the tribulation that takes place. And we're going to be discussing and talking about that last three and a half years known as the Great Tribulation. Now... Here's the great thing for you and for me. How many of you are Christian in here today? Amen. Well, praise the Lord. You won't have to worry about it. All right? We'll already be gone. We're already out of here at that point. But I just thought I'd throw that out there. But in case you're not, you better be prepared. You better be prepared. In fact, here's the thing that I love about the book of Revelation. A lot of people don't see it the way I see it, but this is the way I see it. To me, Revelation is a second chance book. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, for those that didn't get it right before Jesus takes the church on, they got seven years to get it right. They got seven years to see that the signs that God has displayed for those people and knowing exactly what's going to take place, they've got seven years to get things right before Christ returns and then it's over. So to me, it's a second chance because they see the signs, they know what's going to take place and God has already designed it and laid it out there specifically detail upon detail upon detail of those things that are going to take place. And so they have a second chance to get things right before the Lord returns. But when we look at this, I want us to see something tonight, this morning that is really interesting when we talk about this great tribulation. And we're really going to see two scenes of the great tribulation. So let's look with me in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 15. We're going to talk about the abomination of desolation. Look at me in verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which are in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take any things out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Verse 15 tells us that there is a thing called an abomination of desolation that is coming, and it is spoken of by Daniel the prophet. In fact, Daniel mentions this abomination of desolation 
three times in the book of Daniel. The first one is found in Daniel 9, and it's also Daniel 12. I want to look at Daniel 11 first, though. In Daniel 11, in verse 31, he says this, The arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, Daniel 11 is really a unique chapter. It is about a war between the king of the north and the king of the south. And it's really about what's going on in the land of Greece. So this is actually a prophecy for Daniel that is going to be fulfilled probably about 500 years after Daniel prophesied this prophecy. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, this story here in verse 31 is actually talking about a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was a Greek king that came into the land of Israel. He ransacked Israel. He went into the temple and he sacrificed a pig on the altar of God. That was an abomination of desolation. So he sacrificed this pig on there, and then after doing that, he took away the daily sacrifices, and he erected a statue of Zeus in the temple there, and therefore they could no longer worship God in that temple like they needed to. But you need to understand, this is just one instance in the book of Daniel that it is mentioned. It's also mentioned in Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, where it says this, and from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate, desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Now this is interesting because I really like numbers. Does anybody else in here like numbers? Numbers play an important role and a vital role throughout the Bible. When you look at twelve hundred and ninety days, it's really interesting because at this time that Daniel's talking about in Daniel chapter twelve, he's talking about that last three and a half year period of the tribulation known as the Great Tribulation. Now, here's the thing. You sit there and you go, wait a minute now, Brother John. Three and a half years would equate to 1,260 days. It mentions 1,290 days. What are the extra 30 days for? Well, the extra 30 days are to clean up the mess that happens when Jesus Christ returns and destroys the armies that are coming against Israel, and he resurrects and gives his people their kingdom back in that 30-day period of time. But if you don't believe me, well, let's flip over to Daniel chapter 9 and see again a prophecy by Daniel in verse 27 where he says this, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation of, to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate, even under the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. You say, well, wait a minute, what is this verse about? Well, you got to go all the way back to verse 24 and read through verse 27 to get the full picture here. He's giving us a timetable, a week's table. And in these weeks, he describes what's going to take place from the time that the people of Israel are taken captive by the enemy to the time that they're going to return to the land to the time of the Messiah and when he will be crucified for them. That's the first 69 weeks. But then there's one week that he doesn't really talk about until verse 27. And that week he's describing there is what we know as the tribulation. He gives us also some unique detail that if we don't check it out, we don't understand it, we don't fathom it. He gives us some details that go along with Revelation as well. Daniel and Revelation really go hand in hand together. What's really interesting is he says at the beginning of that week, something takes place. He said, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That weak covenant he's talking about there is the covenant that comes at the very beginning of the tribulation. That is a covenant that the Antichrist will make with Israel 
and with all of their enemies. And he'll make a covenant that will proceed throughout the earth. And it will be for a seven-year period of time. That's the first seal, Revelation 6, 1 and 2. That is the man on the white horse who comes to bring peace but does not bring peace. In fact, Daniel goes on a little bit further and telling us what happens. He says, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice of oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of the abominations, he shall make desolate. You say, well, what happens? Well, here's what takes place. Guess what? In the midst of that seven-year period, in the midst of that peace treaty that he makes with Israel and all the other nations, right in the middle of that peace treaty, it is broken. Three and a half years, specifically. Right in the dead center of that treaty, he breaks the covenant. Now you might say, well, why does he do that? Look with me in Revelation 13. I want you to see a lot of great things from this chapter. Revelation 13 really helps us understand why these things take place. We're in Revelation 13, and we'll begin in verse 11. Now, this passage, verse 11, all the way through verse 18, is talking about the false prophet that is going to come out during the time of the tribulation. So listen to verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwelleth therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So this false prophet, his whole purpose, his whole goal is to point people to the Antichrist to believe that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one they've been looking for. That is his whole purpose. He ends up having the power of the Antichrist as long as he is in the presence of the Antichrist to do certain miracles, as they will call them, to show forth that he has power that only comes from God. But it doesn't come from God at all. Now, what's interesting is he talks about making him worship the one who has the deadly wound. Who is this beast he's talking about? He's talking about the beast that's founded in verses 1 through 10 of Revelation 13. Look with me there. Verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. This is the economy this is the uh, culmination of bringing countries together that the antichrist is going to rule over ten nations he's going to destroy three of them and seven are going to fall under him and do whatever he wants them to do but look at verse 2 and the beast which I saw was likened unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority Look in verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like unto the beast who was able to make war with him? Here's what you need to understand. It takes place in the midst of the tribulation. During that three and a half year period of time, at first, there are going to be, the trumpets are going to be blown and the seals are going to be broken and all these devastations are going to come upon the land. A man by the name of the Antichrist, of course, he's not going to go by Antichrist. That would be a little climactic, wouldn't it? Nobody would follow him then. But he's going to be the Antichrist. He's going to rise up and he's going to bring the powers together. He's going to bring the world together all under himself. 
Well, the problem is, is there are going to be people that are going to fight against the Antichrist. Those are called Christians. They won't listen to him. They won't adhere to him. They won't follow him. They won't do the things that the Antichrist wants them to do. And because of that, obviously, someone is going to kill him three and a half years into the tribulational period. That is the deadly wound that's spoken of there in Revelation 13. Well, what's going to happen? We believe that the Antichrist will die, that three days later he will rise up from the dead, and here's the thing. He says he'll be possessed with the power of the dragon. What's going to happen is he is then at that point going to be filled with Satan himself. And Satan's power will flow through the Antichrist, and he will do everything he can to destroy Israel and to destroy all Christians. And because of him rising from the dead, it's going to give credence to him, and a lot of people are going to begin to follow him, believing him to have been the Messiah. He's going to deceive many. And if you don't have your focus where it needs to be, you would be deceived as well. When I look at this passage, and he's talking about this abomination... He goes on in verse 13, because you need to hear this, because this is what's going to take place after all these things happen. Verse 13 of Revelation 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. In fact, what's going to happen after that three and a half years and the, and the death of the Antichrist and the resurrection, they're going to set up an image, an abomination of desolation in the temple that was rebuilt for the people of Israel. This statue is going to be in the temple. People are going to come to see the statue and those who refuse to bow down will be killed by the statue itself that's the abomination of desolation that Jesus himself was speaking of that was prophesied in Daniel but also told to us by John the revelator you see here's the reason behind this he wants you to see that this tribulation that is coming is something you do not want to be a part of it is not something you ever want to see. It is not something you even want to hear about. I'll be honest with you. There's some people say, I don't read the book of Revelation because it scares me. Well, here's the good thing. If you're a Christian, you don't have to live through the book of Revelation. That's the blessing of it. But here's the thing. We need to be prepared for these things that are to come. The abomination of desolation is coming. And here's the thing. When that statue is set up, he's going to pursue the destruction of Israel and Christians. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, go back to Matthew 24 and verse 16. Let's look together there. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Listen to this. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return to come back and take his clothes. Here's the thing. When this takes place, when the abomination of desolation is set up, what he tells Israel is, he says, get out. Get out and get out now. Get out quick. Don't go get clothes. Don't go get anything. And then he, he makes this statement in verse 19. He says, and woe unto them that are with child. In other words, he says, pray that it doesn't happen while you're pregnant. Because you've got to get out and you've got to get out quick. And then in verse 20 says, and pray ye, pray ye that your flight be not in winter. Why? Because in winter, the ground would be a little more wet. In fact, 
in that time, that was during the time of the rains in Israel, and so therefore it would make the ground very hard to get out. She says, pray it doesn't happen in winter. And he says, and pray it doesn't happen on the Sabbath day. You say, well, why is that? Because a lot of times they would close the gates, and so it would make it very hard to get out of Israel. And so he said, make sure that all these things, we pray it doesn't happen on that day, because if it happens on that day, it's going to be very tough for you to get out. But here's the point. The point is, get out. Run for your life. You say, well, why would they run for their life? Because God has provided a sanctuary for them. God has provided the people of Israel a place to go and hide. Look with me in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, we begin in verse 9, or verse 5. It says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God into his throne. This child is Jesus. Going on, verse 6. And the woman fled into the wilderness, the woman is Israel, fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there for 1,203 score days, 1,260 days, three and a half years, the great tribulation. Verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now it's interesting, when people read this part of Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, they say, wait a minute, those things have already taken place, those are in past reference. No, they're not. This is a future reference. Here's the thing you need to realize. A lot of people have a misconception of where Satan is. Do you know that Satan has access to the throne room of God? If, if not, read the book of Job. If not, read the end of 1 Kings by a prophet by the name of Micaiah, who also shared revelation of that. Satan has access to the throne room of God. There is coming a time, and Revelation 12 is talking about it here, where he will be cast out. It will be during the tribulation. At the three and a half year mark, that is when Satan will be cast out of heaven, no longer have the be, be able to be in the presence of God, no longer be able to accuse the brethren, no longer be able to cause the problems he causes to the brethren in the throne room of God, but will cause it here on earth. He will be cast down in that three and a half year period of time, the great tribulation, possess the Antichrist, and bring all kinds of chaos upon Israel and Christians to try to destroy everything that God has set up for his kingdom. That's what's going on here. Flip over to verse 12 of Revelation 12. And it says this, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, get this, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He knows it's almost over. Now, here's the thing. Wouldn't you think that Satan at this point, knowing that his time is almost over, that he would just repent, right? He would just get things right. He would just want to, okay, God, I'm sorry, I messed up, I made a mistake, please forgive me. It's too late for him. So what's he going to do? He's going to do everything he can to hurt God as much as he can in that three and a half year period of time. Verse 13 of Revelation 12. And when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time, again three and a half years, from the face of the serpent. Isn't it amazing? God is going to protect Israel. But guess what happens? 
when the Antichrist can't get them. Now, please understand, he will get many of them. In fact, if you read Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, he will destroy two-thirds of the people of Israel. Two-thirds. Obviously, they don't make it to what many people call Petra, the place where God is going to provide for his people. But after they do arrive there, the last three and a half years, and God takes care of them and protects them, guess who he's coming after? Christians. He's going to come after Christians. He's going to do everything he can to destroy them during that time. And what he tells us is be ready. Now, here's the thing. I am not one of those world preppers. All right? I don't have a bomb shelter. I don't have canned goods. And I'm not loaded up with bullets. All right? You say, why would you say that? Because I'm not going to be here during this time. If you want to prep for it because you're going to be here, I'll pray for you. But I'm not going to be here. I don't have to prep for the end. I'm going to go flying. I'm going to be taken out of here, and I'm not going to have to worry about it. I'm not going to have to worry about the mark of the beast. I know many of you are concerned about what's going on up there in Maine and what's going on with you-know-who, Bill Gates, trying to give chips and all that mess. I don't have to worry about that. I will be gone during that time. I don't have to fear the mark of the beast. It will not come in my time. I will be gone. It will come in the time of the tribulation. And if you believe God raptures the church, you won't be here. So you don't have to worry about it. Here's the thing. We either believe we're going to be gone or we believe we're going to be here. You can choose which one you want to be. I choose to tell you I know where I'm going. I choose to not worry about it. I don't worry about these viruses and things that are coming on. I don't worry about the plans, about the economy. You know what? I don't even worry about who's going to be president. That'll just shock Christians right there, doesn't it? I know who I would choose. But it isn't my choice, is it? It's his choice. It's his choice. And here's the thing. He may be preparing us for the end. The point is simply this. Get ready. Get ready. Because we don't know when it's going to happen. But we know that there are certain signs that God gives to us. So during that great tribulational period, the first sign is the abomination of desolation. Secondly, there's the perils to come. Look at me in verse 21, Matthew 24. For then shall be a great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. We praise God, it's three and a half years you say, wait a minute, didn't you say Christians are going to be gone? Yes, they are. But here's the thing. During the tribulational period, there will be a multitude of multitudes, according to Revelation 7, that will be saved. A multitude of Gentiles. Multitudes of them. So there will be people who are being saved during the tribulational period. These are the Christians he's talking about during this time. During that three and a half year period of time, here's the thing. There are two great things that are going to happen. One, there's going to be tremendous persecution if you read Revelation 13 to 19. But secondly, there's going to be the bold judgments. During that last three and a half years, the bold judgments are going to be poured out on the earth. They are much more severe than the seals and much more severe than the trumpets. In fact, the very first bolds poured out are loathsome sores. 
Now, if you've ever wondered what that is, it's what Job went through himself. He had boils all over his body. They hurt, they ached, they were hard to walk around. In fact, it's the very same plague that Moses brought on the Egyptians to where they couldn't even stand. They were in so much pain. The only way you could relieve yourself with these loathsome sores was to take broken pottery and cut the sores and let the stuff ooze out. Or to sit in ashes so that it would cool and, and help you with those boils that were loathsome sores that were all over your body. That's what's going to take place. That's the first bowl judgment that's going to happen to those who are not Christians. The second bowl that's going to be poured out is the seas will be turned into blood. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Was it not one of the trumpet judgments where something fell into the sea and it turned into blood? Yes, a third of the seas were turned into blood and a third of the sea creatures died. But when this happens in the bowl judgment, every one of the seas will be turned into blood and every sea creature will die. In other words, there will no longer be fish swimming in the ocean. Why? Because the ocean will no longer be seawater. It will be blood for the rest of the tribulational period everything will die in the sea not after that then the fresh water will be destroyed it will be turned into blood that's the third bowl in other words all fresh water in the world will then be turned into blood all freshwater lakes all the rivers will be turned into blood. And you say, well, what's the significance about that? Well, imagine that. Imagine if there was no longer any water. You see why he's got to shorten it? You see why he's got to shorten it? Imagine all the sustenance from the land to show them their need for him to turn back to him. And yet they still refuse. The fourth bowl that's opened up is the men are scorched. In other words, they've already had problems with the sun. It's already been taken away a third of the day. Now it's going to scorch men. In other words, if you go outside, it will burn your skin right off of you. It will scorch men and cause great problems and great pains upon their body. The fifth bowl that's poured out, it says darkness and pain. In other words, the Babylonian kingdom will be surrounded by darkness. In other words, they live in darkness. They will be surrounded by darkness and that darkness will bring pain on all those who follow the Antichrist the sixth bowl judgment is the Euphrates is dried up you say what's the purpose in that God is preparing the lane for the armies to come through and be defeated by him that's what it is it's all about that God is preparing the way each and every step the seventh bowl that's poured out and God says he's going to shake the earth like he never has shaken it before destroying cities and killing people all these things are gonna take place and a lot of people look at that and say why in the world would God allow such devastation all over the world here's what you need to understand because this world is not our home he doesn't want us to long to stay he wants us to long to go it's that simple if this world were our home would you really want to live forever in a place like this where there's pain and torment and problems and diseases and natural disasters no the whole point is to look forward to the glorious residence in heaven with God where there's no pain no problems no diseases no sin no fears no problems no death no difficulties whatsoever it's to long for that place that's the whole point of it I don't know if any of you others found it humorous during the debate they asked the vice president what he was going to do about hurricanes and forest fires. Simple response should have been, I'm not God. 
If you think climate control will fix it, you're stupid. Sorry, I said it. Really? Climate control. Yeah, and the polar ice caps and all that garbage too. Sorry, I just... mm. Moving on. The perils to come, it's cut short. Thank God it's cut short, but there will also be false Christ. Look at verse 23 and 24. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is the Christ, or there believe it not, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. And there's, you think about this. During the Great Tribulation, of course, the Antichrist is going to claim to be the Christ. He's going to claim to be the Messiah. And he's going to show great signs. And the false prophet's going to be there. And he's going to be showing great signs. And you're, you're going to see them probably perform things. I mean, here's the thing. You say, well, wait a minute. Only God can do those things. But go back to the plagues of Egypt. Go back to the very things that Moses did. Was it not the magicians who were able to copy, in some sense, some of the things that God was doing? Why? Because God was allowing them to use those things to deceive Pharaoh. And unfortunately, God will allow people to be deceived because they want to be deceived. Here's the thing. You can be deceived if you want to be. I mean, we can all just keep our eyes closed and just believe everything's going to be okay. But it's not going to work that way. He says there's going to be many false Christs. In fact, during the tribulational period, there will probably be people who will be raising up groups saying, I will save you, I will save you, I will save you. Many false Christs will come during that time. He says, don't believe them because that's not going to be so. Verse 25, behold, I told you before, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he's in the desert like John the Baptist. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers as Jesus was with his disciples. Believe it not. You won't find him there. In other words, during the great tribulation, you won't find him in this world. You want to know where you'll find him? Verse 27, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth unto of the west so shall also the coming of the son of man be in other words when he comes back after he takes his church allows seven years of tribulational period to come back he's coming in the clouds and every single person in the world will see him everyone will see him he won't be here in this world he won't be trying to go around and save us he will come back to bring judgment on this world that's why people feared the day of the lord because it was judgment You see, Jesus came to save the world the first time. When he comes again, he's coming to judge the world. And a lot of people say, does he have the right to? Well, he created it. He has absolutely every right to. He's coming back. In verse 28, for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. In other words, the signs are pointing in that direction. You ever notice that you see roadkill on the road? What do you see above the roadkill? They're circling it, aren't they? They're circling it. He says, that's a sign that you know something's dead. Well, guess what? The signs that God gives us are letting us know this world is dead. And he's going to come back. And he's going to receive us unto himself. And then he's going to come back. And he's going to judge this world. And after he judges this world, then guess what he's going to do? He's going to rule in this world for a thousand years and then after that thousand year rule you know what he's going to do he's going to destroy it and then he's going to create a brand new heaven and a brand new earth and a brand new Jerusalem and we'll dwell forever with him the signs are there the question is are you ready I don't know when he's coming back I don't know I wish I could tell you I wish I knew 
but I don't know when he's coming back. It could be today. I know I've said that week after week, but that's the thing. It could be. It could be today. It could be a thousand years from now. We don't know. All we got to do is be ready. And what I do know is simply this. When I read about the Great Tribulation, there's not a single person in this world I want to go through that. Not a single person in this world that I want to have to go through something so difficult, so heinous, so awful. But again, the whole purpose behind it is so that we won't long to stay here. It'd be one thing if this is all we had, but it's not. He's given us a promise. And that's exactly what he did in John chapter 3. He told them, he said, I've not come to judge the world. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Why? Because he knew there would be another time where he would come to condemn it and to judge it. We don't know just how close we are. I don't know. I just know I want to be ready. And I want you to be ready as well.